G'day, g'day, how are ya? Hope you're digging that fat bluesy riff there. Um, welcome to episode 19 of the Average Man Podcast. It is Saturday the 10th of November, Saturday evening, doing it from home again on a Saturday evening this week. Um, and yeah, welcome all everybody listening. Um, I'd like to just quickly do my shout outs and before we get this thing um, underway. Shout out as always to PCC Productions, the audio visualists up here in the special, uh, up here in the Pilbara. Get hold of Brad on on uh, Instagram, or Facebook, uh, for all your your audio visual um, and sound, you know, sound technician, recording uh, studio needs. Uh, and also shout out as always to Two Way Hire Services. Uh, they for you know get hold of Ross on um, Instagram or Facebook for all of your two way uh, radio servicing and hiring needs. Um, also, this week, shout out to Samat Carpentry and Construction. I started um, shouting out to these dudes a few weeks ago, and I've, I've given a little bit of a backstory to those to these guys, a couple of mates of mine who own a um, carpentry construction uh, company in town. I'm actually doing a bit of work with these boys in the coming week. Things are a little bit slow with the company I work at. Um, so I've hit the lads up, and they're going to put me on for, for a week or so. It might end up being a little bit longer, but at this stage, for a week's work. So, um, so Matt is... Um, you could say they're sponsoring the, the podcast this next week. Um, i also like to shout out to Captured by Carlos, local photographer from around town. He's uh, also a average, uh, average Man podcast alumni. He's been on here and we had an interview, told us a little bit about his story. And um, he's, he's got some prints coming up for uh, uh, Christmas at the moment. So you can get onto his Instagram page, Facebook page. Also, you can check him out on YouTube. But get onto his Instagram or Facebook page and look at some of the, um, the prints he's got. You can choose photo, you know, some of his photos that you like and he, he can do up, up some prints for uh, you know the upcoming Christmas break, man. So yeah, get on there and check that out for sure. Carlos is a brilliant ph- photographer, man, and just a really good um, story and, and a really great passion for life. I'm not sure if you can hear that in the background. My two cats seem to be fighting with each other. So I'm trying to ignore them and um, just push forward with uh, with the um, podcast in any way. But if they keep going, I'm going to get up and throw a thong at them. So that's what you might hear that in the background somewhere. Get out of it, you little mongrel. Um, also, I'd like to shout out to Shafted Spearfishing, local spearfishing crew here in town. Um, these lads are on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube as well. Um, as mentioned previously, I'm looking at teeing up a dive session and an interview with the lads, at least one of them. Hopefully we can get both of them together. Um, Zam and Lukey from Shafted Spearfishing, but that's going to be happening in the next fortnight or so. I know Lukey goes on days off in like 10 days, 9 or 10 days, something like that. So weather permitting, we'll be looking to, to tee a day up to go out for a dive and then and then do the interview afterwards. Um, so, yeah, that should be pretty pretty good. I'm looking forward to that. It should be nice and exciting. And, yeah, look forward to that in the next episode or two. So that's shafted spearfishing. Righto. <clears throat> that's all the shout-outs done for tonight. Um, where are we? So... What did I get up to this morning? Had Taekwondo with the lad, as I do. I'm um, generally on, on Saturday mornings, and um, I left my my daughter at home with with the missus today because I was uh, I'm trying to get the boy a bit more involved in these Taekwondo classes. I take him down there, and like he's a little bit of an introvert, I suppose, in certain ways, and he just hasn't been that keen on participating. Like he'll do the little obstacle course at the beginning, and then he kind of sits on his hands for for the better part of the the um 
the class while other kids are joining in and participating and he doesn't really want to be involved and then he gets involved in one of the other little uh, activities they do near the, near the very end. So I thought, oh, I'll leave the, the daughter at home. And he also had another little mate coming, a mate from kindy coming with him this week as well. I thought that, that might get him involved more. He's got, you know, if I'm there to, to help him go through it, if his little mate's there to get involved with him. <clears throat> and I don't have to chase Heidi around, but um, it actually went the other way for him, and he, he kind of really dug his heels in and, and did the obstacle course this mo- uh, in, in, at the beginning, and then just didn't want a bar of it, man. And the more I tried to encourage him, it seems the more he dug his heels in, and then I started getting like, as much as you don't want to give a shit about what anybody else thinks, it, when you're in public and things are going wrong with the kids and they're kind of playing up and that, it kind of you do get a bit stressed out. Well, I do, and I, I think most parents kind of do. You get like stressed out, and you know, I started sweating. I'm thinking, oh, I know, like I'm, I look like an idiot. He looks like a little brat, and then I'm trying to be cool and encourage him without looking like I'm pushing him too much and and then the whole thing like he he was probably feeling the same way man you know and he started really playing up and then running off and he's running around the place and I'm chasing you know I'm trying not to chase him I'm sort of just following him trying to talk to him calmly but he's, he's literally sprinting around tables and under chairs and all this sort of stuff and I'm having to just run up and grab him and then like we bailed out man first time I've ever had to do that so we bailed out like 20 minutes earlier before the um the session finished before the class finished it was pretty like I said it was pretty embarrassing man for me and and just was really disappointing that he seems to be going backwards in his participation and shit like that but it probably has something to do with me like it's 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 probably me trying to help out and making things worse you know that's generally the way things go it's like normally the parents that fuck things up and same with like dogs and stuff it's normally the owners that, that, that cause the problem so inadvertently it's probably me making the, making things worse but I was just trying to do the right thing by the kid and, and help to get him past his little anxiety and, and, and sort of uh, oh, I'm not sure if it's anxiety or if he's just an introvert he's just not interested but whatever it is I'm just help, trying to help him get past that and um, I seem to have made things a little bit worse this morning so that was shit um, we sat out. I made sure we sat out in the car out the front. I wasn't gonna. He wanted to go home. I wasn't gonna go home until the class finished. We go out and say goodbye to some of the other dads and kids and stuff like that as well to make it like you know we're not just bailing out of this thing and going straight home, man. We got to sit here and wait for the class to finish because you know this is what we're here for. So. Uh, he's just sitting in the back telling me he just wants to go home and draw. I just want to draw, dad. I just want to go home and draw, dad. Like, which is you know I'm torn by that because. He needs to be involved in these group social sporting type events and clubs and things like that. It's a part of life, you know. It teaches you really good skills and coping mechanisms and things, and um, how to compete and how to look after yourself and all that kind of shit. And and just also, but um, I love the fact that he loves drawing. Like he really loves drawing. He'll sit there and draw and color and stuff like that for for hours, and he's actually really good. So I'm not, I'm I'm all for. Uh, Letting him be who he is and, and helping that part of his personality uh, flourish. And I, I love that he's into artwork and drawing because I love that kind of shit myself too. So, you know, at least he didn't just want to go home and, like, you know, play video games or, or, or just want to go home and, you know, just do something shit. It was kind of, he wanted to go home and draw. So I, I was happy that that was what he wanted to do and what he ended up doing all afternoon anyway was, was drawing. But it was a bit sad that he, he couldn't get himself involved today and yeah like I said I've, I seem to have made things worse this morning so that was a little bit of a stressful start to the day but what do you do man it is what it is um yeah and I normally take the kids to the creche after um after the taekwondo lessons and I didn't realize I guess it's just worked out that way that I'm normally done by about 11 a.m but I didn't realize that's the actual cutoff point for, for creche here in town like on a Saturday they they wrap it up at 11 a.m because I, I called up 
before Taekwondo to book him in, because I know they're always kind of, every time I get there, they're like, oh, we'll see if we've got enough uh, places and shit. I thought, oh, I'll call up and book him in in advance. And they're telling me, oh, well, Grace finishes at 11 a.m. I'm like, oh, really? Does it always finish at 11 a.m.? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it always does. I'm like, no, oh, man, that's... Okay, so I'm only going to get like 45, 50, you know, maybe 45, 40-minute 40 workout in by the time I get there after leaving Taekwondo at 10 a.m. So I really didn't feel like being rushed today. I needed to get a good workout in, so... Thought bugger that, I won't put him in crash. I'll bring him back home and drop him off to mum. He wants to come home and draw anyway. So I brought him home, uh, dropped him off here with mum and his sister, and him and Heidi, and I, I cruised back in and, and, and pumped out my workout. Got a good workout in this morning too, so really just starting to um, just try and, and go hard on like my uh, like working my posterior chain again. Like I've, I've, I've had a few um, issues with my lower back and shit lately, like... I wake up pretty sore in the lower back, and I notice certain exercises that I do that I've been doing for years. I, I, I've had a few little tweaks here and there where I'm pulling back a muscle in my lower back, or just pulling up kind of sore the next day. So I figure that I've I've been neglecting like my squats and deadlifts and and uh, back extensions and all that kind of shit a little bit too much lately. Because uh, um, and yeah, I suppose I'm getting weak through the core and the lower back and all that kind of shit. So I went in there today and made sure I did a good pumped out a really good um deadlift. Uh, you know, I did a few other things as well, like uh, working my core. But yeah, the the main focus of the workout was just deadlifts. And it was good to not have to be there on a clock waiting to like get kicked out of the crash at eleven a.m. You know, so I went and pumped that out, and, and I had a pretty good a uh, pretty good session this morning. So that was good. Uh, after that, cruised back home, and um, like I said, the the the, the lad was um just still sort of been doing drawing and crafts with mum. She loves doing arts and crafts and stuff too, which is cool. So he'd just been doing some drawing and shit with mum, and um, my daughter was still asleep, which was good, because she's been so grumpy and miserable lately, man. She's got more teeth coming in, and sleeping still hasn't been the best, and all that kind of shit, so... For all those people out there who aren't parents listening, you're probably like, oh man, he still whinges about his kids a whole lot, but <laughs> I'm trying not to whinge about it, I'm just, I'm just telling you how it is, and for all those parents out there, especially people with two or three kids, y'all know what I'm talking about, man, you feel me, I'm sure... <laughs> So it is what it is, mate. We get these we have these ups and down times with the kids. They've been, um, well, my boy's been really good lately anyway. My daughter's been playing up a little bit, but it's just the, the sleeping thing, man, and, you know, whatever. Kids are kids. They're always changing. They've always got some new little quirk or uh, thing in their personality that you haven't seen before and you've got to work around and work with and, and all that kind of shit. So it's just, just part and parcel for it, man, and it is what it is. And I guess up here in Headland we don't get a whole lot of time to... Um, to decompress and relax from them, we don't have family to help out and shit like that, and you know it gets expensive getting babysitters and stuff, which is um, a good, re- which is one of the um, a good thing that um, a friend of ours, family friend Loza uh, Lorraine McGann, she's back in town. She's been out at like in, she, they did the Europe thing, so her and her, her man, so they've been out of town for like three months, and she's kind of like our Pilbara Nana up here. She looks after the kids, they love her, she loves them. She looks after him with the rest of the like her mob over. She just one street over, so she'll look after her with her her other little um uh, her little granddaughter um Stella, who's a gorgeous little girl. So she's back in town now. She's always offering to help out, have the kids for a day or for a night, and she have them for sleepovers and shit like that. So I'm sure we we'll, we'll have a little bit of a night out or a night off coming up soon, um just in time for all the Christmas parties and shit too. So that'll be good. I'll be looking forward to that. Um, bless you, Nana Loz. She'll be she's back in town, so that's a really good thing. It's like just sit like tonight. We got invited to the Castrol um, Cleaning Company's uh, uh, Christmas party because I know I got mates who, who well actually know the people that, that own the company, and I got a mate who who's sort of part of the family and shit like that over there. And 
Uh, he invited us last minute to go around. Then we don't have a babysitter lined up, and like I said, it gets expensive, and especially last minute, it's always hard to organise something. So we couldn't go out and do that. It would have been nice to go out and let our hair down and have a bit of a drink tonight, but um, wasn't to be. But now, like I said, Nana Loz is back in town. I'm sure we'll get a couple of those opportunities pop up, and we'll be able to take them up on them on them pretty soon. So I'm looking forward to that, man. And you know, it's only six weeks away till till the Christmas break anyway for us till we till we drive out. So. Um, it'd be plenty of time to let her hair down and relax and have a bit of time away from the kids then anyway. So, that's that. Uh, what else we got? I suppose might as well jump straight into some local events. It's been a bit of an interesting week this week. Anybody who's got their finger on the polls, I mean, you don't really even have to have your finger on the polls. There's been pretty big news around town this week about the um, huge BHP uh, train derailment that went down on whatever it was, Monday or, or Tuesday. So, I thought we'd just... <laughs> gloss over that and, and uh, have a little bit of a yarn about that uh, as um, as I understand it anyway so spoken to a few people uh, around town obviously there's been a bit of a video going around about the, the that um, leaked the actual footage of the trains all fucked up and smashed and, and, and sort of all crumpled into each other and it shows you the full extent of the derailment and what it looks like, So, which was pretty cool, that video. So whoever the hell leaked that out, good on you. You're a bloody champ because I know BHP were trying to keep it um, under wraps as much as they could, the pricks, which, you know, is, uh, it is what it is, mate. You guys fucked up, you know. The policy didn't didn't hold up and there was a there was an incident, big incident, um, where people were, you know, put at risk. And um, the, I think the public around here deserve to know what's fucking going on, mate. It's a mine in town, BHP, the big dogs in town. When you guys fucking step in the, the dog shit, we, we, should all, um, we should all know what's going on. So whoever leaked that footage, that was fucking brilliant, in my opinion. Um, so just to gloss over it again, the, the, the incident, as I understand it, has been said that it's the largest derailment uh, in the world. I'm assuming that's like the largest cargo ship. A cargo uh, train, obviously they're larger than uh, than commercial trains anyway. So it's the largest derailment in the world. Um, I think there was something to do with the air brakes on the on the carriages that um, there was they were malfunctioning. An old mate had to to pull up. Um, obviously, there's a protocol to make sure the brakes are all engaged and everything before you hop out of the loco. You hopped out of the loco. He's going down the carriages and checking all the the air, the air brake line or bleeding the line or something along that uh, along the lines of that. And um, as he's working his way down the carriages, the loco started moving without him, which is obviously it's not it shouldn't be able to do that, especially if he's followed protocol correctly before hopping out of the loco. And um, it started it started um, moving without him, and yeah, really picked up too much speed. I'm not sure how far down the carriage line he was anyway. He could have been hundreds and hundreds of metres away from the actual loco, but it started moving without him. He wasn't able to catch up and jump back in. Um, and then a few things went wrong, I, I suppose, which is what proves it was a mechanical uh, fault, a mechanical failure. So there's an override sort of system built into the locos where I think it's every 90 seconds or intermittently throughout a 90-second period, something like that, they have to hit this button, which lets them basically just know that the driver hasn't fucking fallen asleep or, you, or that you're not sitting there playing fucking Clash of the Clans on your phone or studying your fucking law degree or whatever the hell you're doing while you're, while you're driving a boring-ass train for hundreds of kilometres through the desert. So they're going to hit these, um, these switches... Uh, this button, sorry, to, make, to let them know that they're they're paying attention, that they're switched on, and they're on the ball, and I think there's a certain amount of of those um, 
there's a certain amount of those uh, a period of time that goes if you miss a certain amount of those uh, of hitting the button for a certain amount of times the I think the loco is supposed to override and, and, and hit the brakes because it's saying that something's wrong the, the, the driver's not on board the driver's not paying the pilot's not on board he's not paying attention or, or something rather uh, you know, along those lines and it's supposed to automatically brake and that obviously didn't happen either so there's a secondary fault there this loco's already taken off when it shouldn't have and then the override system hasn't kicked in and stopped it automatically when that button hasn't been pushed. So there's two things that have gone wrong there, uh, which which obviously points towards mechanical failure. And then this bitch has just taken off down the tracks, man. Travelled, ended up travelling something like 92 kilometres, 90 kilometres, 92 kilometres, um, reaching speeds they reckon of up to 110 kilometres an hour, and I guess they figured that out from the time it left, from the time the loco took off, from when old mate was out, and to the time it reached the point of derailment, time passed in between how fast it would have had to go to uh or maybe they just have it um that i'm not sure if they have that actual information directly from the the um loco itself like this like a sort of a black box kind of type of scenario like there is on an airplane but they figured out that it's it's traveled at uh, average speeds of up to 110 kilometers an hour which i believe is a fair whack faster than they, they travel on the way in when they're actually mad so I guess that's funny on the way back from um, the mine site into into Nelson Point or into Headland here, those locos will be doing more braking than actual pulling the locos once it gets up to speed. So which is kind of funny because, like I said, it's going faster than they, than they do normally on their on their normal manned routes. So this thing's getting up to about 110 kilometers an hour. I think there, were, I believe there was four locos on the on the entire um, train line. I think, and again, I'm sure there's people out there who will listen to this and go, fucking wrong, dickhead, that's not what fucking happened, because just fucking miners love to fucking talk like they know everything. But this is, like I said, this is the story, as I understand it, the information I've been able to fucking gain from people talking to people around town who seem to know what they're talking about. I think there was two locos that got derailed. Um, there was something like 268 uh, wagons or carts or carriages, whatever you want to call them, and most of those were um, derailed. I believe over 200 of those carriages were actually derailed. Uh, I know the derailment was done remotely from Perth, which is kind of fucking cool, kind of kind of bizarre, crazy, and kind of cool at the same time. Like you know, there's such everything's done over the internet, and like the, there's someone down down in Perth, 1800 kilometres away, who who makes that call, presses the button. And um, they derailed this bitch from from fucking Perth remotely, which was kind of cool. Uh, I think it was about 120 k's out of Perth when they derailed it. And there's a couple of different stories as to why they derailed it at that specific point. There was uh, I heard that there was another loco up ahead, which was heading in that direction. They would have ended up passing each other. I'm not sure if that's correct or if it was something about it was got, had to go over a small bridge, a little bridge, and at that speed, unmanned, it was too risky to let it, get, to let it go over that bridge before they, they made the decision. So but whatever the whatever the uh, the reason was, they, they knew they weren't going to be able to stop this bloody thing uh, at any rate, so they're going to have to derail it at some point. So they made the decision, uh, 120 k's out of town, and, and, and let this bitch fucking, yeah... Let it let it go off the tracks. They so um, and the fucking video that's cruising around. I might be able to share it straight to my um Facebook page. I think I will. So I'll share that to my uh, to the average man Facebook page anyway. The vi- the video of the carnage left behind after this derailment. Uh, yeah, I believe it was on the Newman line coming into Nelson Point. 
So, um, and yeah, the from what I hear, the driver's gone straight on, on stress leave, which I don't blame him either, man. I'd, I'd be going straight on stress leave too. There's that much money, uh, carnage, all the, the clean-up, it's in the news, it's on, it was on ABC News, everybody, everybody's talking about it. Just fucking, you just wouldn't want to be around, mate. It's, it's, it would be very stressful. This is a multi, multi-billion dollar company, and you've just done the largest derailment um, in the world, apparently, so you're, you're responsible for it in some form, even though it's mechanical failure you're still the dude you're still the guy who's at the helm so i don't i don't blame you for going on stress leave at all and this is where we get a little bit interesting because um i've got a bit of a conspiracy theory to pitch to you i'm not much for for conspiracy theories they're just a little bit of fun man so uh i thought i'd pitch this one uh, as a bit of tongue-in-cheek just for something to fucking just for shits and giggles so the theory is right Rio Tinto started running driverless trains, and again, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I can glean, Rio Tinto started running driverless trains around about July this year, and they've been going off without a hitch, and obviously BHP will definitely have that in their view, in their, um, they'll their, have their eye on that, how that goes, and whether they can move, or, I mean, eventually they'll definitely move to driverless trains, but how soon can they move to driverless trains, is it, got, is it in the, um, on the cards in the next two, three to five years, or what? What are they planning to do? So the conspiracy is right. The drivers' union, the uh, train drivers' union, have uh, they've they got together and paid old mate off. He's going to be set for life, right? And he's just got to make sure there's a there's a mechanical failure and there's a huge derailment like this, a massive a massive incident. Um, where this train goes off the rails to to make sure they scare BHP into into keeping uh, drivers on the on the on the tracks because they don't want to um, rely on driverless uh, trains when they have got incidents like this going on just pu- due to um, pure mechanical failure. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Hey hey, wink wink. So um, yeah, that's a little bit of a um, <laughs> that's a little bit of a conspiracy theory there for you. Obviously, fucking just just fucking around, but. Um, a bunch of dudes I follow online and shit like that are into into tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, so I thought I'd have a little bit of fun with that and throw that one out there for you. Anyway, talk some shit about it. But man, this is what a what a it's been an ex- exciting um, few days surrounding that. Even though I don't work for BHP, got nothing to do, and we we, we do, some, do some contracting for them, but I've got nothing to do with them really. But it was just exciting hearing the buzz around town, seeing the videos, and somebody's leaked the information, and BHP are trying to cover everything up. And I believe that they've they've gone straight out there now for the. Um, the re- the the recon mission and, and what they've done is just built the track around the crash site for now, de- just detoured it around so they can get trains moving again and then they're going to deal with the carnage and every- actually clean everything up properly and then relink those tracks up correctly again eventually afterwards So, which was a pretty smart way to do things we are all kind of speculating about how they're going to do it if they're just going to push everything off to the side run the track back through and then do the clean up at the end but that seems like the better way to do things just, just to um, de just to uh, detour those tracks for now around the carnage, and then and then they can um, get production happening again, and, and send some contractors or whatever out there to, to clean the mess up and rebuild the track from um, to the, the original track back through. So that's what happened this week in local events, and yeah, it's pretty interesting, pretty pretty cool, man. And it's not it's not my money, so I don't I don't really give a fuck about it. I just thought it was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's some heads going to roll for that, and and I do I do feel for old mate the driver who's probably um, doesn't want to look at his Facebook 
or or his phone right now for the next you know month or two, and I don't know what's going to be like coming back to the workforce after that man. To be honest, I'd probably just look at look at moving or being transferred somewhere else somewhere else because you just wouldn't want to be the guy that was responsible for it, man, or or who was like I said at the helm, even if it was um, mechanical failure. So yeah, big local event, big derailment this week. Lots of um, shit going on behind the scenes and leaked information, conspiracy theories, all that kind of shit. So a little bit of fun for us Headlandites this week with that one going down. Um, what else we got going on around town? On a much more natural, uh, eco-friendly uh, vibe, we've got the turtles uh, laying down um, on the at the beach, cemetery beach, and 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 up towards um, Cook Point at the moment. So. I think they lay around about now, October, November, and then I guess they hatch early in the in the new year, February, March, something like that. So I'm not sure what the deal is with the turtles if they they leave those eggs there un, unattended or when they you know when they come back to to check on them or what the deal is. But I know that yeah they're they're laying them at the moment and then they'll be hatching sort of sometime early in the, in the new year. So if you're into that, get get involved in the um, the turtle hatching. I know that there's info about how to care for the eggs and how to get involved and all that kind of shit. Um, they're doing like a bit of a, an information session each Monday morning on Spirit FM. I don't know what time that is. It just says Monday mornings on Spirit FM. So if you're interested in that and you want to find out more about it and get involved and help out, listen in on uh, Monday morning to Spirit FM. They have a, someone, someone from the committee there coming in to, to talk a little bit about the turtles and um, how you can get involved and, and help out. Uh, on the same kind of vibe, we've got uh, Lisa's Kangaroo Retreat, which is something that's close to our heart because my wife and I, before we had kids, did some um, uh, rehabilitating of, of joeys. We, I think, re- rehabbed about four or five joeys um, who had, had mothers either hit by cars or shot, and, you know, they bring them into town and you get hold of them and you... you sort of uh, have them in a little pouch hanging off the door in your bedroom. You've got to give them bottles every couple of hours and then soon, eventually they move on to um, kangaroo, um, what do they call it? Uh, kangaroo grain. It's like, a, it's like a cereal. It's like a cereal type. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Kangaroo. It's a kangaroo feed anyway. It's like a cereal, like a grain kind of um, mixture that you that you give the, the kangaroos. They move on to that. They still like having bottles. If you don't if you don't uh, take the bottles away, they'll drink those for as long as they can. And then they they, they get uh, real little personalities. Kangaroos. They're not very bright. They're not very smart. They'll always jump into danger and get themselves killed and fucked up and things like that. But they do have a personality and a character about them. And they're really cute, man. And they're all different. So we we did that a few times back in the day before we had the kids, and um, I know that there's, there's some people in town who are, who are involved in it. Lisa's Kangaroo Retreat on Facebook is the place to go if you're interested. They're looking for volunteers. I think they've filled most spots, but 6.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Thursday, they're still looking for more volunteers. Or if you'd rather go and donate to them, because they always, you know, they can always use money for... Um, to help with the facilities and, and um, you know... Uh, buying pouches and and milk formula because it's kangaroo formula as well, uh, and the, and the kangaroo porridge, the grain cereal, whatever the fuck it's called as well. Um, so there's a, a GoFundMe page 
the, the link is through their Facebook page there, Lisa's Kangaroo Retreat. Or I think you can just go down to the vet and just say that you want to, do it to donate to Lisa's Kangaroo Retreat or to the Kangaroo Retreat, and they can um, sort you out there, put donations in through the vet. So anybody who's interested in doing that, you can yeah get 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 amongst that. Always looking for sets of hands to help out and, and a bit of a bit of spare change here and there. Um, wouldn't wouldn't hurt either. So yeah, get get amongst it, guys, and um, yeah, help just support the local wildlife. I know the kangaroos aren't on the verge of going extinct, and they can be uh, considered pests in certain places and certain areas. But when you've had mothers killed like that, you have got little joeys um, out in the cold. Well, it's not cold, but out in the big bad world on on their own. Like they, someone needs to step in and look after them. So, and um, yeah, that's that's our job to do. So, get involved and help out with that as well. Um, anything else for local? Current events would be there's the brew in the moo on tonight, which is in Dampier. I mentioned it on last week's um, podcast, but yeah, I didn't really have any any details to, to give out for that other, other than there was an event called Brew in the Moo in Dampier, which I know is going down tonight because my neighbours are out there kicking on. So yeah, um, in the way of um, entertainment, TV shows, I said that recently I've been struggling to find something to watch, and I'm still sort of stuck on that. Um, TV show Tyrant, and I'm also still stuck on uh, uh, Making a Murderer, which is a little bit slow, season two, like, I think you get the gist of what's going on in, in season one, which is really exciting and interesting, it was sort of a groundbreaking documentary, you know, like, just took the world by storm, the story and the way it was done, it was really, really well done, but season two is kind of just reiterating the same facts over and over again, a little bit, to be honest, so I haven't followed through much further on that one, um, Tyrant, we're still watching, but kind of slowly. It's really not like something I'm just um, dying to get home and throw on the TV every night. So we'll get through that that eventually. But what I have picked up on is just some different TV shows. Like um, I've been watching Anthony Bourdain's um, Parts Unknown. So Anthony Bourdain was like a chef and a writer who started doing a TV show where he'd go to just um, crazy places around the world, get involved with the locals and try the try the local cuisine, not not just um, top not not just top shelf top food and five star restaurants, but he'll get involved in the street food as well and the local and the actual traditional cuisine and and um, really get a bit of a story about the area that he's in from the people as well. So so far he's been to Canada, did some cool shit there with his two guys who own this restaurant can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they do just real extravagant um, French-Canadian type dishes, um, everything's over the top and extravagant, you'd be fat within two or three weeks of hanging out with those two dudes, but it was a pretty cool show, they got a little cabin out in the ice lakes, and then they're, and they're, they're out in the middle of this tiny little wooden, yeah, wooden shack on the on the lake where they go out fishing through an ice hole, and they're in there, and these dudes are cooking up full gourmet meals, There's they, they, they take a uh, a ball of truffle and a truffle grater everywhere they go with them and they're shaving truffle over the top of this meal in this tiny little cabin on the ice hole and it's just kind of cool man they they go to extremes at all extent uh, they he hits up Koreatown in Los Angeles which is pretty cool there's like a completely just some uh, different subculture right there in the middle of Los Angeles you know Koreatown there's a bunch of them but he goes into Koreatown itself and and gets involved in the in the culture the subculture there and, and, and involved in some of their food and and uh, which is pretty cool and gets a little bit of the story about how Koreatown was formed and how it was um, strengthened and and really unified during the um, the um, LA riots back in the 90s. Um, he went to Borneo, which is kind of crazy, and the last one I watched, he was just cruising through the Congo, which is just a fucked up 
fucked up country, man. Like, it's just broken country. It's war-torn. I think they had the, the Belgians came through there in the 1800s or something, or, uh, or might have been, the, sorry, the 1900s. Uh, King Leopold came through there, and they just basically, yeah, they raided and invaded the place, took over, built a bunch of infrastructure, um, basically enslaved the local people and used them to, for their own um, benefit. And then um, due to social pressures and economical pressures, they bailed out in the turn of the century, 1900s, and basically have just left, I think it was around about the 1950s, they bailed out and have just left the Congo to, to fend for themselves. Um, and the place is broken into different fractions. There's rebel fighters and there's um, it's yeah, just yeah, rebel warfare going on. Just so they, they have a map with all the different rebel factions in it throughout the Congo and it just looks like the different coloured rebel groups are, or the different rebel groups are, are all... Um, represented by different colours and it looks like someone's just thrown paint at this map and there's just different coloured rebel groups everywhere just all fighting for territory and subjugating the local people and it's just horrible man um i know a little bit about the the congo just from um listening to the joe rogan experience he's had a guy on there several times called justin wren also known as the big pygmy who's a ex-ufc fighter now fights for he's a heavyweight for bellator fight promotion and um, this dude fights, and then with the money he raises, he goes over to the Congo, and he's got a company called Fight for the Forgotten, and they raise money through other means also, and work with another um, company called Water for All, I believe. And they they um, they uh, set up the logistics and, and, the, and the material over there and teach the locals how to build and op- operate these water wells so they can get their own clean water, because there's something ridiculous like... In Africa alone, I believe, 5,000 kids die from dirty water each day. And the Congo makes up a large part of those numbers, which is just incredible numbers, man. It's fucking disgusting, you know? Like, uh, when you, it's kind of one of those numbers, those statistics that don't, doesn't sink in because it's just such a crazy number that's too much to, to, to um, really calculate in your head. You can't kind of quantify it, but but try for a second to take a step back and listen to that, that 5,000 children die from dirty water in Africa every single day. It's just it's, it's horrific. So, and like I said, a large part of that problem is is, is uh, here in the in the Congo. So this dude, Justin Wren, has a, um, yeah, a company where they go in and, they, and they're teaching these people how to um, operate these wells and helping them build these wells. I think they've drilled something like 14 or 15 wells now. And I know through the Joe Rogan Experience a podcast, they're helping them raise money for that now as well. And, and it's really getting up and going and getting to help a real big head of steam on, uh, behind it. And I think the whole point of this thing is to teach the locals, build the infrastructure there so that eventually in the next few years they can um, move out of these areas and just let the locals run the, the run it all themselves because you want to teach them how to how to, to um, build and create and, and, and run these wells and this infrastructure themselves rather than just be ha- having to hang around and, and help them out all the time because that's, that's not a long-term solution. So pretty crazy man and just um just a just a messed up country and yeah that's that's what um anthony bourdain's parts unknown is about he goes to all these different places around the world infiltrates the local culture gets to know some people has a chat to him meets the local cuisine and um just a really good really good show and anthony bourdain unfortunately died earlier this year i think i believe he was in his 60s and he died of a drug overdose he's he'd suffered from depression for for many many years and i guess he had one of those up and down battles where he had good times in his life and and not so good times in his life and 
the last low that he hit um, for one way or another claimed his life. So it's kind of surreal watching him now as well. He seems like such a happy, confident, friendly kind of guy. And you know that behind that smile, there's there's some demons, man. And I guess that's the story that we hear over and over again in, in this life. So I think everybody listening would have some sort of experience with depression, whether themselves or, or through somebody that they know and care for and it's just a real real issue in our um in our culture today man and yeah it's things like that that sometimes make you think about it on a larger scale and just think wow this this thing this depression this disease this mental illness is, is just it's just everywhere man it really is um but yeah more on that at another time i've, I've got something i've got a few things in the works to to really ap- approach um uh, the issue of depression, you know, the black dog, and the way different people deal with things, and the way different people can come this and come into their lives, I suppose. And I've got a few ideas in the works um, for the future podcasts. And I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I have had, not personally, but through people I am very, very close with, have had extensive. Um, experience with depression and anxiety and and post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that so it's something that's close to my heart it's not something that i personally suffer with as i said but it is something that's very close to my heart and um i believe that it doesn't you don't need to be a professional to talk about it and bring awareness to it and 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 start the conversation up so uh, that's what this podcast is all about talking about things that i think are important that i'm passionate about and that's one of the things i'm just trying to figure out a formula a format and and the best way to to approach it and and bring my unique uh, spin on on not spin but my unique approach to it and um I guess that's something that I will be approaching eventually in, in the, on the podcast in the near future, just because I think it's such an important, um, yeah, it's such an important issue. And and for me to talk about to have a podcast where I talk about everything that I'm involved in and that I'm interested in, and that's all that's a part of my life. Um, and to be authentic, that to not bridge that subject would be um, uh, in disingenuous. So that is something I, I yeah. I'll be covering as soon as I can figure out a decent way to to approach it, I suppose. Um, I don't want to stumble into it is what I'm saying, I, I guess. I don't want to just stumble into it. I want it to be kind of, um, I have a bit of a game plan. So, yeah. Um, what else have I been watching? I, mean, I watched another documentary the other day called, uh, it was on Ronnie Coleman called The King. So Ronnie Coleman was eight times Mr. Olympia, big black dude who's... Um, started winning the Mr. Olympia contests in the late 1990s and right through to like 2005 I believe 5 or 6 just an absolute beast of a man 6 foot 6 foot 5 300 pounds which is, I guess is about 140 150 kilograms just of pure muscle and um the documentary follows him in the build up to his latest back surgery and basically he's just um Physically, he's just a, a broken man these days. His body is just completely broken down and destroyed from all those years of heavy lifting. And he was the biggest bodybuilder we've ever seen. So basically, you could probably say he's the the most amount of muscle any human being has ever packed onto their frame would be Ronnie Coleman. And the training that he did and the, what's what it's done to his body really shows that there is a limit to the, the human uh, physique and... Um, Thank goodness the sport has gone away from the trend of just huge is is, is what they're all about. There's, there's, they're looking for different things 
now in bodybuilders. Um, but this guy, man, like the just the, the the extent that he went to, just and the the way he trained and just he just broke his body down, man. It was kind of a. It was is he's got two little girls, you know, and he's only in his fifties, early fifties, and he and he's. He can't walk without crutches and without help the help of furniture everywhere he goes. He's got that he's this like real uh, distinct limp uh, comes mostly from like his hips. I don't know if you've seen someone with bad hips or with one hip shorter than the other. They kind of walk and their shoulders drop like five or six inches to either side as they walk. That's the kind of the way he walks now. And then they got they're flicking from him walking around like that. He's still training. He's still a big beast of a man, but shouldn't be training, but he still is. And they flick from him like that, walking around, then back to him and at his prime, you know, just winning Mr. Olympia's the biggest man in the gym and just the the, the way, he's, he's basically, a, physically, he's a shadow of himself and it was, really, it was quite sad to see. But then at the same time, like, he's such a happy, content, strong-willed, motivated guy, he's still training, he's financially set, he's got a supplement company that's doing really, really well and he invested his money smartly while he was... Um, while he was making shitloads of it, so he's he's financially set, but he's got a family, he's got two little girls, man, and his body's really, really broken, but like I said, he's got a happy, positive vibe, he thinks he's going to get himself back to a healthier um, version of himself eventually after this next surgery, so it's kind of sad, but an inspirational tale at the same time, and just a, if, just a trip, man, like, the guy's a great guy, really um, charismatic, and just seems like a real people person, seems like a very genuine, down-to-earth kind of guy, and just to see... The, the the size of this man and the way he trained and just it's just an incredible spectacle if nothing else the documentary so I suggest checking that one out Ronnie Coleman the King pretty pretty cool doco man on a on a pretty uh, amazing uh, human being so let me just check the time right now I've been going for forty one minutes okay so I got I got twenty minutes to um to keep this all in the one recording. We'll see how we go. I'm going to go through a um, uh, an album review right now. So, the name of this episode is Home, and that's named after the latest John Butler Trio album. came out maybe, I think it was in August, so a few months ago. John Butler Trio, the album's called Home. And, um, yeah, this is a, a little bit of a breakdown and review of the album as I as I see it. So this isn't a, an in-depth really um, going over the album with a fine-tooth comb and, and really analysing it. This is a, a first listen. I had the headphones in and I was jotting down notes as I listened to it. So you can look at this as a first impression uh, review of the album. So this, if you listen to the album and you don't hear exactly what I heard or you see things a little bit differently or you think that maybe I missed a few points or... Uh, misinterpreted something that's because it's like I said it's just a first listen uh, and I was just jotting down what I felt what I heard as I went so without further ado let's jump straight into this um, album review man okay the first song's called Tahitian Blue um, I got a real folky type poppy feel like pop song type feel to it which is very different from the blues and roots um background of john butler with his finger plucking real fast riffs very percussion driven um very fast lyrics and things like that this is a, a very folky pop song type of um feel and the and what struck me the most uh, next to the the difference in the the um ca- the cadence to his um to his riffs was the the um production on, on the um 
very, very heavy on production and especially on his vocals. The vocals are very clear and very layered. So yeah, there's, there's softer guitar lines in this and it's got a very sing-along type feel to it on, on that track. Uh, the next track in line was Wade in the Water. Wade in the Water. And this has a much... Uh, I believe that's the opening track for the... For the uh, um, for the podcast, I, I came in on the intro with Wade in the Water. So as you can hear at the beginning there, it's a much dirtier, sort of deeper bluesy kind of riff comes in, like that deep, dirty blues riff, which is kind of a bit of a badass. One of those those riffs that make you kind of... When I hear a riff like that, a real dirty blues riff, it makes you like... makes you frown, makes you like stick your bottom lip out, scrunch your nose up like you just smelt something terrible. Yeah, and you've got to nod your head along to it. It's that kind of dirty, bluesy kind of riff. Real ethereal, drawn-out vocals when they come in. Um, it's a it's a slower, more repetitive, drawn-out riff than is uh, typical of a John Butler trio song. So it's very, very different to some of his older um, finger-picking, um, high-paced sort of um, uh, guitar line type work from his older albums. And there's not much um, slide guitar or anything like that uh, that, that is really popular on, on, on some of his older albums either. Um, the next song on the track is called Just Call. Again, this is back to a folky tune played on... It's a folky kind of tune played on... on, on it's a very upbeat and it's played on the offbeat. So it's almost got a almost got a swing type feel to it. Uh, very heavily produced on the vocals again. And um, kind of a very, uh, it's got a sing-along chorus and really um, strong, um, easy to pick uh, harmonies throughout. Uh, the next song on the track was called "Running Away." "Running Away" is a percussion-led song. The percussion leads into the track. It's got like a slide bass type feel. Might be a might be a synth, uh, a bass synth coming through through the background. Real darker vocals on this one. Darker vocals, darker sounding like lyrics. Um, very emotional feel to it. Um, this riffs a little bit closer to the the older stuff, and the vocal progression is just something very very different to the way he used to sing and the and the vocal progression and uh, of the older John Butler um, stuff. And this was something that he was very adamant. I heard a few snippets of his, his interview with um, on on Double J, and this is something that he was very aware of coming into this album. It's um, it's a very different feel and different approach and I think I believe he may have recorded this overseas and a lot of the undertone to the album is being away from his family for long periods of time and the loneliness and the, and that that and that kind of feel that you can get from being away from the loved ones and the, the the pain and damage that can cause to relationships so that kind of comes through in a lot of these songs um, it's a very building type of uh, feel to this song, layered layered chorus. So the chorus is the vocals are done uh, two or three times over, different sort of uh, pitches, um, which gives it that real layered vocal feel to it. Uh, it's a very inspired new new sound is what I'm starting to get by this stage of the album. It's not a it's not a phone in, you know. It's not not just a give give me album. It's not it's not he hasn't just phoned it in. He's really he, the trio, the band have really approached this with a fresh uh, outlook and just wanted to do something different, which is really good, I think, at this stage of the career to mix things up and it's not like, oh, we'll just go back in and record another John Butler trio album. They've, they've gone in, they've really thought about it and they've given the, the listener something different to, to, to chew on and consume and um, taking a risk as well away from their, their standard sound. So I'm always down for that, man, especially when you can pull it off like they, I feel that like they have so far on, on this album. So they're very inspired new sound uh, the next track on the album is called Home this is the uh, title track for the album 
it gets a bit weird here. It's a good track, but it gets different here. It gets a bit weird. It's a very synth-heavy bass line and a scattered trap beat. So you wouldn't expect John Butler to have a trap-inspired beat on his songs, but it's very, very trap-style beat, sort of scattered beat through the background. And then a build and building, brooding sort of um, toms um, that come in uh, heavy through through the background on this one as well. Um, so real, real heavy brooding toms on the drums in this one. Um, and apparently it was written solo, so he wrote this song on the laptop and on the iPad with electronics, you know. And then um, so he'd written like basically like an EDM track, I guess. And then the, the band got together and the band have brought life to the song and, and played it through with their instruments, obviously with with the help of a synth in the background as well. But they've kind of brought life to this electronic type sound through through a um, blues roots folky type band. So that's the interpretation you get on the finished product there, which is pretty cool. Uh, next track on in line is called "Miss Your Love." Uh, this one's bluesy. Um, yeah, getting more into the blues here. Very a very bouncing upbeat track. Uh, sorry, not an upbeat. It's 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 a, it's a bouncing bouncing off the drum type off the percussions track. But it's it's a love ballad. It builds. It does build to a very layered crescendo throughout the song, and then finishes on a, a stripped back um, acoustic for the final few bars. Uh, Faith. Faith is where we start to see the finger-picking of John Butler start to come back in, and the harmonies are very in sync with the uh, guitar-driven melodies throughout this one um, uh, on the track Faith. And the next track in line is uh, Coffee, Methadone, and Cigarettes. Now, this starts off with a steel string acoustic backed by a real sort of synthy bass kind of organ sound, maybe with a bit of like... It's kind of a, an organ or, or strings of maybe... Uh, Sounds perhaps yeah I don't know some sort of synth bass line in the background there I haven't quite I couldn't quite put my finger on it like I said it was a first off it was a one off listen uh, just the feel I got as I was listening to it the first time around so I have to go back to that and figure out what exactly they're doing there but it's a bassy synth kind of feel in the background of this steel string acoustic intro um, this one's got actually a bit of a country feel to it um, simple guitar. Drum and bass line, uh, it's, which is really just a platform for the slow, story-driven lyrics throughout. Uh, the next track in line is called Tell Me Why. This is the finger-picking starting to take um, centre stage a little bit more in these later tracks. And um, it's much softer than his old tracks. Like It's not like Pick Apart Me or, or um, Danny Yeller or one of his old tracks where it's really fast, funky... Um, uh, bluesy finger picking track with high energy. It's 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 a bit more laid laid back, stripped back, and the vocals uh, sort of are directly tied. Where John Butler's lyrics used to be almost a little bit like um sort of like a Anthony Kiedis style, where it's kind of like funk hip hop a little bit. Like it's a stretch those words, but the bear with me. It's like a bit of a funk hip hop over the top of like a blues or funk or or um funk in the way in the in the way of Red Hot Chili Peppers, bluesy rootsy in the way of uh, of uh, John Butler true, but it's kind of like the way he sings is almost a little bit like uh, like a like a um, it's almost like a rap lyric top you know with that speed and um, cadence to it. But this is much more um, the lyrics in these songs really following the the guitar line and the and the guitar driven melodies. So they really intertwine together well, and the drums are almost sound like a like uh, maracas in the back of this track. So that's Tell Me Why. Uh, the next track in line is called Brown Eyed Bird. 
finger plucking, you know, finger finger picking again, making a strong appearance in the beginning of this song. This one, which is really starting to make me feel like I'm a, something something familiar, like I'm in good hands. This is still the same band. This is still the same man. Um, so while the songs are very different, the approach is very different. The, that finger picking is starting to make an appearance on these later songs, and I'm glad it has because I really love the way he plays guitar. Uh, again, this one's got a trap beat scattered through the background, which is a uh, surprise. And then it's a kind of uh, an upbeat, classic-sounding John Butler trio chorus. So you're starting to feel a bit more familiarity in these later later tracks on this album. Um, second last track's called You Don't Have To Be Angry Anymore. Sounds a little bit like an R&B beat to it. Uh, it's a very electronic sound to this one. The drum beats the drum beats almost sounds sort of like a heartbeat to it. That's what, that's what I got out of that one on the first listen. And the last track's called We Want More, killer track. It's a nice finish, it's a nice finger-picking intro uh, with cascading tom-tom, drums in the back, very ethereal vocals again. It just builds, it's a very building track, comes into a hard, fast chorus. And the background uh, bass line almost sounds like a didgeridoo type feel to this one. So it's a great finishing track, great strong finishing track to actually a really great album that I'm going to be putting on rotation over the next couple of weeks and hopefully get a little bit more insight into it. But um, all in all, I'm really happy with it, man. Completely different direction, but I think John Butler's done what John Butler does enough times now that he can leave that behind and, and go into a different direction um, without us really... He hasn't left us wanting more, if you know what I mean. Um, the the latest um, Matt Corby album just came out, and that's completely different to what he did on his first album, which is completely different to what he did in his first couple of singles. And the problem with Matt Corby there is not ripping on Matt Corby I love the guy I love his music but um, he's left us wanting more he did some really great things in his earlier music and on his first and his uh, EPs on his uh, on his um, first album and then he hasn't followed that down the rabbit hole far enough he's already changed it up and, and I feel like he's left us wanting more a little bit so John Butler hasn't done that we've seen what John Butler does time and time again he's done it fucking uh, over the last 20 years now time and time again so to go in a different direction at this stage of the career and to pull it off um, is I think a stroke of genius and just brilliant and I'm really happy he, that he did it no um, no qualms from me whatsoever so look that takes us to about the 53 52, 53 minute mark um, uh, I'm going to wrap it up there I uh, want to say thank you to everybody again who's listening and people who are getting involved. I really hope that we're feel that we're forming a community around this thing. I've got some interviews coming up in mind. Got some things to do with. Uh, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna give too much away. But I've got some things in mind coming up. As I said, I got some uh, content to approach that uh, ties in with um, mental health. And I'm gonna figure out a good way to to, to tie that into the podcast. Um, yeah, I've got some other things coming up to do with the indigenous uh, culture around town and around the areas and things like that as well. That's going to f- feature every now and then in the podcast. We've got the Shaft of Spearfishing um, interview coming up soon. I'll I'll be all over. When that comes out, I'll, I'm really looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be a good fun one, so I'll make sure I'll pump that one out and advertise it. And um, I just appreciate everybody's time and your feedback. And like I said, anything you want me to talk about, you want to leave me feedback, you disagree with something I'm saying, your information you can give me on something, get onto the Facebook page, write it on there, let's start a, let's start a community. Uh, this is the community's podcast, that's what I'm doing it for, man. I want this thing to pick up speed, I say this every time, I want it to pick up speed, pick up momentum, I want people to be involved in it, I want this to be a place you can come and go to the, to the Facebook page, you can leave your two cents, we can get things started, we can get things talking, you don't just have to talk. 
um, to yourself or to your mates on the weekend. You can you can be involved in something that we can get the, get it out there, and we can all have a voice and and um, have a our own little spot, mate, where we um, where we air the way we feel about the community and what we think and what we want, what we want to do, and and hopefully in, in amongst that, I can share my passions with all of you as well. So that's um, yeah me for another week. Finish rambling at you all, and um, yeah, episode nineteen. Home. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed doing this, and um, I think the 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 um, weekend evening format's working pretty good for me so far. So um, I might stick with this one for a little bit longer. And yeah, Average Man pod, Podcast episode nineteen over and out. See ya.